Hi, everyone, and welcome back to Gathering Ground. I'm Mary Morton, your host and president of Morton Group LLC, a national consulting firm based in Chicago. Our topic this week was radical self-care. What is it? Why is this framing important? And what can we do to practice it as often as possible? Here are a few statistics about self-care. 75% of adults say they don't make time for self-care. That's from the American Psychological Association. 30% of adults say they would be more resilient if they made time for self-care, and same source, the APA. 60% of adults say they would be more productive if they made time for self-care. And 50% of adults say they would be happier if they made time for self-care, and that's from the National Institute of Mental Health. So clearly, we should be practicing self-care in more meaningful ways. And so our guest today, I'm really excited uh, to welcome Jacqueline Boyd, the founder, owner of The Care Plan. And I want to also welcome, and we have two Jacquelines for the first time. That's it, never happened. I just want to say we're making history here again. Uh, Jacqueline Hamilton. Uh, Jacqueline is the healing justice practitioner based in Chicago and is currently the director of wellness, culture, and action at Chicago Freedom School. We're going to have you both talk a little bit about yourself, but first, welcome to Gathering Ground. Great to see you. Thank you. Thank you for having Good to us. See you. <laughs> Wonderful. I am really looking forward to this topic because um, I'm doing this for everyone listening and for myself, because I, I certainly need to practice a little bit more self-care. So I gave a very, very uh, preliminary uh, overview uh, of your um, sort of bios, if you will, just a sentence or two, I would love to start, and this is how we generally start on Gathering Ground, with you telling us a little bit about yourself. And I'm going to start with you, Jacqueline Hamilton. Tell us how you got to Chicago Freedom School. What was your path there? Um, and yes, what, what you're doing now? Uh, my path is, has been an interesting one. Uh, I started out as a young person who was an organizer. I was an organizer before I ever had any language for that. Um, and was an organizer in high school, went off to college and, um, and did organizing work and was out in the world uh, doing um, the same and ultimately burned out. And after burning out, I went to massage school. I found a, a, a little post-it note with a list of things that I wanted to do before I turned 25. And I was coming up on 25 um, and was like, okay, well, let me, figure, let, me, let me figure out whether or not this particular dream is possible. I'd never had a massage. I didn't know why I felt like this was a thing that I should do. I lied on my application saying uh, saying that i had had the record the, the required uh, amount of massages and it wasn't until after i submitted my application that i um that i received um a session and ultimately more sessions and realized oh i have been having headaches from the time that i woke up until the time i went to bed i've been having all of these physical issues um and from there i really journeyed down this um healing path what does it look like to really be in my body to make uh, make friends or make a lover of my myself with my body um, and um, and to learn how to care for myself more deeply and ultimately um, because I am an organizer um, those two uh, those two parts of me started to fuse themselves uh, together and um, and when I came back home to Chicago a friend of a friend referred me and uh, and ultimately, I ended up at uh, at Chicago Freedom School, starting as the well the summer wellness coordinator, and I've been there um, for eleven years. Now. Has it been eleven years? Yeah, wow. yeah, that's incredible. Mm -hmm. And and kudos to Chicago Freedom School for having a wellness coordinator. I was so impressed exactly. when I met you, and I said, "That's your job. That's incredible." <laughs> yeah, and boy, yeah. has it been needed, right? Certainly in these last several years, like never before in some ways. Yeah, it's especially um, in in circles of of people who are doing this kind of work, doing movement work, because we think mm -hmm. of ourselves as like we're saving the world. But what is it? What it, what will it cost you if you don't exactly. actually take care of yourself? So yeah, exactly. Wonderful. Well, let's turn to Jacqueline Boyd, and hear your story of of how you arrived at the care plan. 
How how is it that you are running a uh, a business, a company that really prioritizes um, LGBTQ folks? Yet you work with everyone, and I've seen you do that. You work with people across you know every community, every identity. Uh, but how how did you get started? And 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 you know, but prior to the care plan, what led you to the care plan? Well, thank you. Uh, I love this question. And Jacqueline, it was wonderful to hear your answers. So excited for this conversation. Um, So I started out as a caregiver. And when I was 18, I got my certified nursing assistant license because my mom had just had a diagnosis that I knew would follow her for the rest of her life. And I was in college, but I thought to myself, well, I'm happy to know the the theoretical aspects of care and psychology and, and mental health, but I might need to know how to pick this person up and move them or give them a shower or, you know, understand the medical ease um, that's going to be coming our way. So I was really curious and wanted balance uh, in the education I was getting. And I have never looked back. Being a caregiver, I think, really set a wonderful foundation for me uh, in terms of things like healthy boundaries, caring for yourself while caring for others. And it develops leadership skills. It really does, uh, because you have to be alert, you have to be person-centered, and you have to be looking down the road and trying to plan ahead. Um, So I will forever be grateful for those lessons. Uh, And after graduating from college, I worked for, it did a, did a few things, but um, I worked for a home care agency for 12 years. So that expanded my knowledge of just how things can evolve as we age um, and as we deal with, with illness or disability. And so over those 12 years, I never heard anybody in the industry talk about queer or trans elders. And I everybody I met who was gay they were using coded language. So they would say things like, you know, this is my friend, this is my roommate. Um, And I kind of got tired of it. And I was like, this is the first generation to age out. And who's talking to them and who is caring for them and and thinking about how our aging might be different. Uh, So after I was ready to, to go out on my own and start my own company, I really wanted to be working at the intersections of queerness and blackness. Uh, because we are often the ones doing the labor, doing the work, uh, solving the problems, but there's not the cushion always for us or even the encouragement for Black bodies and queer bodies to rest and look at their own needs. Um, So I started my company in 2015, and we started out with providing care navigation, basically advice uh, for people around health and aging, planning services, giving them resources, and we've expanded uh, to offer training and workshops and facilitation services since then. So that's how I arrived there. <laughs> Wonderful. Thank you so much. And I want to go back to you just for a moment, uh, Jackie, and just ask you about the Chicago Freedom School. Can you talk a little bit about the Chicago Freedom School and what it does overall, which is so important? And as you know, I'm a huge fan and a huge fan in particular of your executive director. So yeah. Um, So Chicago Freedom School is an organization in Chicago that is rooted in, grounded on, based on uh, the work of Mississippi Freedom School um, from Freedom Summer, uh, SNCC, Young Folks in 1964. Um, We've sort of taken that that blueprint or that motto and and brought it to, uh, to young black and brown people in Chicago. Um, so we use popular education, um, you know, trauma inf- uh, trauma informed uh, lens um, with frameworks of of healing justice, transformative uh, justice, anti oppression, and abolition to really support young people as they grow into the activists, organizers, or just sort of like critically informed young people um, uh, of today. And, um, and our work is to support them in figuring out how, um, how they create you know, the world that they want to live in, in their neighborhoods, in their schools, um, uh, or, or in the, the nation or world at large. And so as a wellness coordinator, just give us some sense of what, uh, not, and now you're the director of wellness, what, what do you do to maintain a certain level of, of self-care, uh, you know, in terms of promoting that to um, the youth? 
So initially as the wellness coordinator, it was, uh, my work was more, more focused specifically on young people, helping young mm -hmm. people build skills, build tools, um, supporting, um, you know, just generally keeping an eye on what is happening in, uh, in the space we talk about and address really heavy, uh, topics, topics that are, um, that, that our young people experience really intimately. So how do we help young folks build the kinds of skills and practices? I, I like to use the term well-practiced, right? Because these things are not necessarily natural. We become well-practiced at taking care of ourselves. So how do we help young people build the skills they need in order to really dive deep into these, um, these really complex, really uncomfortable, um, uh, topics around systems of oppression um, and, and individualized experiences, but also, you know, the greater uh, communal experiences that we have as, uh, as Black and Brown people, um, while, while not, um, uh, not completely being consumed by, you know, the grief, the rage, the hurt um, uh, that, you know, that's, that is reasonable, right? When mm -hmm. we're talking about, um, talking about all of these things. So that was how my work started. My work as the Director of Wellness, Culture and Action has expanded um, in a way where I'm, I like to say that it is my, uh, it's my job to make sure that we are living our politics. So what does that look like in terms of the ways that we are supporting young people? Um, but also what do our systems look like? What do our practices look like? What is, uh, how are we leading in terms of our, our uh, curriculum and education? Are we, how are we taking these politics and putting them into practice? So it's not just theoretical. Um, it is, what does it look like when you are actually faced with, um, faced with a, a difficult moment, um, in your life around, what you say you believe, how do you navigate that? So, um, so, so I think about that from, uh, from the individual uh, perspective, but also from the, from the organizational or institutional perspective as well. Wonderful. Well, you know, when you say this idea about um, navigating difficult situations, that, that is a perfect entree uh, to ask you, uh, Jackie, about the work you do, because you are, certainly from what I've seen, uh, often involved in um, helping people make difficult decisions. Uh, and, and how do you do that in your work with the care plan? Well, I, I'll speak to it from a wellness perspective because oftentimes in the spaces I'm in, people are heightened, right? Whether it is a family system or a workplace, uh, people are feeling their feelings and it's spilling over and it's showing up oftentimes in ways that feel harmful or... Um, less safe. And so what's important for me is to remember that it's typically what we're upset about are problems to be solved, right? If I'm with a family who is dealing with a parent or a loved one who has memory loss, they're not actually mad at each other. They're mad because they're losing their loved one. And if I'm with a group where tensions are high because, you know, the workplace feels like it's in disarray and communication is terrible, they're not actually mad at each other. They're mad because the processes aren't working and because they're not leading with relationships. So they look at each other as, you know, things that, that are broken or, you know, you're not doing your job or you're treating me a certain way because everybody is afraid. So it's really important. I think in my work, that's one of the biggest lessons is like when you are able to stay centered and in problem solving mode and hold the space you know, it's not my job to get elevated. It's my job to hold the space and to move us to a place of greater respect. And then we can problem solve. I find, I view it as moving the anxiety and the stress and the, the harm out of the way, breaking up that tissue a little bit so that then we can let in the room to think more clearly and to approach each other with respect. Um, so whether it's, you know, whether it's problem solving around health and aging or, trying to put together an action plan with a team, it takes the same skills of centeredness, pacing. I love the pause. I love having a pause and not trying to fill that space and just letting people, oof, have a minute, have a minute. So that's a little bit. So can you uh, tell our listeners a little bit more about the kinds of things you do um, through your work at, at the care plan in terms of uh, healthcare navigators and yeah. I've, uh, you know, been very pleased to 
work with you for some of my family members. Um, so tell people so they understand kind of the kind of really individual care uh, and supportive services that you offer. Absolutely. And thank you kindly. Um, so the work that we do fills the gaps in our current systems. So if you think about estate planning, right, you need a lawyer and you're getting your advanced directives done. If you think about financial planning, you have people to do that. But the pain points as we age and when we are dealing with healthcare crises is around care. How much does it cost? Do I trust people to come into my home? Will I need to find a nursing home or a long-term care setting? And the costs rise every year. There's over 800 caregiving agencies in the state of Illinois. So what we do is we guide people. We start out with a consultation to understand with all the decision makers or support system, what are the top priorities? What are the concerns? Are we worried about, you know, getting assessments here? Are we worried about resources? Are we worried about Medicaid planning? Do we need to apply for something? Um, Is the insurance working? Are the doctors the right team? So it it is very individualized. Um, And this is a place where we really embrace a more radical perspective to care because we are not going to send people just down pathways that don't work. We're going to work with you to be creative. So if who you have is chosen family or your neighbor or the the cashier down the street is the person you have the strongest relationship with, we're going to figure out how to bridge those gaps and see if they can be part of your care team and part of your support team. Um, If you don't want to go into a nursing home, we will explain to you what those options look like and how you can stay in charge of of your well-being through the end of your life. So we're we're both providing education, real-life practical advice about what works and what doesn't, um, and then helping people plan for short or long-term goals. Okay, so let's talk about self-care. And I'm going to start with you, Jacqueline, and tell me, what does radical self-care mean for you? And you described some of the ways that you're supportive of youth at Chicago Freedom School. Talk to us, though, about what that means to you in terms of when we use the term radical self-care. And and I'll just say that um, I was in a meeting with a um, fundraiser a few weeks ago in another state, and um, she was talking about some particular strategy. She said, well, it's not like I want you to be radical about it. And we were thinking, okay, we're okay with being radical. (laughs) I mean, it's not not a bad thing. Um, However, I think um, people might be surprised that we're putting radical in front of self-care. What does that yeah, what does that mean for you, Jacqueline? Well, I think, you know, addressing that whole, the hesitation around uh, around being radical is really important, right? Mm-hmm. The, the <laughs> exactly. actual meaning of the word is just a fundamental shift, right? Exactly. It is right. a huge and or fundamental shift. What What is, because I think oftentimes people hear radical and they're like, all right, put your beret on, which, you know, at Chicago Freedom School, this is what we are here for. Totally down um, for <laughs> <laughs> But, yeah. but, you know, some folks don't don't necessarily feel ready for that, but it can be it can be um, more accessible if folks think about, OK, what does it mean to have a fundamental shift in the way that you think, see or experience a thing? So I think, you know, going back to the the statistics that you named, right, 75 percent of people don't make time for themselves. Right. Like a radical shift is um, the first step in that is folks being able to acknowledge, oh, I'm really not making any time for myself and then figuring out ways uh, to create or carve out um, that space. Right. I think um, uh, Jackie Boy just just mentioned, you know, loving the pause like Mm. you have enough time to pause. Mm. You have enough time to want. I always say you got you got three breaths in you. You got enough time to just take three breaths and just integrating small um, steps or small practices like that will help shift you into that radical or that fundamental change in the ways that you are engaging your own health. I know that that's been been what it is for me. Like in my own practice, I've recognized that I have to put myself in the way of practicing. So if I say, Mm. okay, I want to drink more water, I'll just strategically put bottles of water around so that I'm walking past a bottle of water, right? Like put it in my way, make it a part of my practice so that it becomes easier. And it's not, it doesn't turn into another thing I have to do. 
It is a thing that I want to do, a thing that I um, that uh, that I feel like will feed me, right? But it's also a thing that I am figuring out ways to make accessible to me. And I think that that for me is radical. It's just creating the space for that. I, I loved what you were saying about putting, uh, you said, I'm going to put myself in the way. I, I love that, just that idea of um, I'm I'm going to do this and however I have to do it, I'm going to do it, right? I'm going to make it happen though. Jackie, what do you think with regard to the work you're doing, um, how do you think self-care then really plays out? What kind of... Um, I would, what kind of advice do you give folks about taking care of themselves? Is that, I mean, is that, I would assume that's something you find yourself doing just in terms of people, you know, getting on a different path, maybe after they've had a particular health challenge of some sort um, because they hadn't been doing any self-care. Um, what, how does that manifest itself in your work? Well, often for us, we're speaking with caregivers, you know, the family members or mm-hmm. the friends that are calling okay. in distress and so you can kind of sense it on people, you know, if the voice is elevated, if the yes. shoulders are up, if the it's go, 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 and you can't turn that brain off. It's an immediate indicator to me that we need to have that conversation about self-care. Um, and sometimes self-care is self-preservation. So I want to say that first, because there are so many people in that 75%, if you put no gas in your tank, you will get to empty. And so I think that You know, sometimes we're having the conversation about self-preservation, that if you want to continue in this work or if you want to continue to show up, we have to put some gas in the tank. You have to do something for yourself. And there's ways to do that, right? Scheduling time on your calendar to just think about self-care. Put it on your calendar just like you do all those hundreds of meetings that you have in a month. Make sure that you're thinking about it as a wellness practice. Get inspired. I actually really want us to not just think about self-care from a place of piecemealing it, right? What most people do or what's allowed for most people or as an afterthought. I want us to get expansive about what brings us comfort and joy and pleasure and creativity. And the piece that worked for me around this, and I'm, I'm not perfect, I'm not practicing wellness every single day in the way I'd love to, but it is a process. But I think for me, the the mental framing that I realized in COVID was that my ancestors did not go through what they went through for me to be miserable or tired or fatigued or just working to work. I am of the first generations of Black and queer folks that has the opportunity to live well. It is my duty to do so. And so that really helped me really thinking about the lineage that I come from, even in just recent history. It sort of gave me a mandate to say, you have to, and you should. And that's a way of honoring yourself and lifting up the next generations to come. You know, some folks might think that self-care is uh, selfish and that Really, it's not about, you know, yourself. It's not about, you know, each of us. It is about um, really taking care of yourself. And I'm wondering what what you would tell someone uh, who really feels like I I I can't I can't make the time to do that. I don't I don't even know how I can make the time. That's what I'm, I'm. You know, you talk about scheduling things, and I think that's a really great idea. And I do that for myself. However, I certainly have run into folks who feel they just don't have a moment. They don't have a moment, whether they're a caregiver, right? And caregivers, I'm so happy that there's been so much more focus on caregivers uh, in the last several years, particularly around, you know, COVID. Um, however, because of how many folks, and I'm going to say most folks who are identified as, you know, women have been socialized around giving care, right? You are supposed to be the person who makes sacrifices if, if necessary. You're the person you know, who may be the head of the household. Um, how do we get to those people and say, it's okay for you to take care of yourself? Because often I will say to someone I, when I'm doing executive coaching, if you're not taking care of yourself, you certainly can't take care of your staff. And everything, as you know, will come to, you know, the folks on the leadership team or the executive director or the, 
you know, the CEO of the company, it all, it all rises as it turns out. And so, um, there are many things, for instance, I'll just use my, uh, Morton group as an example where, you know, something may be revealed about a staff person and they'll say, well, did you know that? And I'm like, yeah, I, I knew that already because I get lots of information that I have to hold, right. That I'm not going to share with other people. It's not appropriate to do so. Um, and sometimes I think we don't realize how much we are holding. And then you have an example, I think that might happen. Maybe you all have experienced this where you get, you get to go on vacation and then you get sick, you know, and you get sick because you stopped, right. You your body has finally just slowed down and then everything catches up with you. And so I, I think, again, this idea of particularly for women, it's difficult, uh, in terms of asserting yourself, at least that's what I found in terms of saying, I want to do nothing today. I am going to take the day and do nothing. I'm going to watch TV and stretch out on the couch. And that's okay. How do we move people from the extreme of, I, I can't do this. It's not appropriate. I have too many things to do. I have too many things to, to take care of, you know, with my aunt or my mother or my father or whomever, or I've got to go home and babysit for my, you know, young brother, whatever the case may be. I don't have that kind of time. What are the, what are the, some of the strategies or examples in some cases, I would say that we can use and employ to get people to understand that it's important that you take this time. And it's not about being selfish. It's about, to your point, Jackie, self-preservation and that taking care of yourself is the right thing to do at the end of the day. Um, Jacqueline Hamilton, what do you think about that? No, I think um, there is power in noticing. Just like having mm -hmm. some time to notice, right? You just mentioned holding a lot. Oftentimes we don't even know how much we're holding because we're so in, caught up in the going of it all that you don't notice, oh, you, you have 20 things on your to-do list this day, right? Um, it's a lot. So just being able to like take some time and notice, I think also what's been helpful for me is really uh, taking some time to figure out what's the difference between an emergency, something mm -hmm. that is urgent, and something that is important. Because mm -hmm. oftentimes we are in a space of like everything is an emergency when right. it, it's that's not what what is happening. This might be really important or it might be urgent, but this is an emergency. But I am matching it with uh, with the energy of an emergency, which is drawing out all of my. Um, all of my own energy as well. So I think just having some, taking a few minutes and just noticing, I've literally written down all of the things and thought, oh, okay, actually I'm overloaded. I'm tired because, because I have 50 things <laughs> mm -hmm. on, uh, on my plate right now. And I need, to, I need to actually take some time to figure out what of these things um, is most um, necessary or most urgent. Or, mm -hmm. or if there is an emergency, where is it? Where does it exist right. here? Mm -hmm. Right. Jackie, what do you think about that that sort of prioritization and, and, and really, you know, figuring out is it an emergency? Is it important? What what will I do first in some cases to make my way toward self-care? Mm -hmm. I think that's a, a great point, the noticing. And when I see people get to the point of self-preservation, sometimes they can't access that noticing or they can't you know, give themselves permission to even mm. think about it. Mm -hmm. So I'd like right. to, I'd like to um, add just the power of reflection and it doesn't have to be reflection you do yourself, but that you can do for others. Right. So sometimes I see even in chosen family and, and biological family and friend circles, we don't want to bridge the gap. We think that we're being rude by asking certain questions but I think it's really important if you notice that someone is struggling, especially right now, because we have lost way, way too many people, in particular in Black communities, to suicide and mental health issues through this pandemic. If you notice that someone isn't doing well, ask for time to talk and think about bringing some reflection questions, you know, saying things like, if you struggle to give yourself permission to care for yourself, how would your best friend how would you tell your best friend? What would you tell your best friend to do? What would you want for them? What would you want for someone you love? And when you look back on your life, you know, 40, 50 years from now, 
How will you have wanted to spend that time? Will this job, will this to-do list matter then? Or will having had time to explore who you really are and rest and be with the loved ones, will that be more important? I'm not afraid to ask the deep questions and I always get consent to ask those questions, but I think reflection and education can be really, really helpful because sometimes we need accountability partners to pull us out of the pit and to just love us through it. And I, I got really serious about this a few years ago in part because I got educated about what stress does to the body and the fact that stress is related to eight of the leading causes of death chronic stress. So when I talk with folks about this, I'm not making it pretty. I'm not talking about, you know, finding time an hour a week to garden. I'm talking about extending our lives in particular as black and brown folks. So, you know, I, I, I sort of always am coming from an advocacy perspective. And I think, you know, hopefully that's a compliment to what you were saying, Jacqueline, because if people have capacity to notice a hundred percent, but we might need those around us to say, Hey, Hey, I'm knocking on your door. What what do we need to do here to make sure you get through? And people are going to resist this. We already know this, right? These are conversations that, I, as I said before, I have to have with myself on a regular basis. And on occasion, uh, Jackie Boy tries to have them with me as well. Um, and so it's, it's a, it's, it is a practice. I mean, I think that is the best way to describe it, right? We have to keep at it. And... It's so easy, at least I'll, I'll speak for myself here. <laughs> it's so easy to get off track, um, you know, because things are constantly happening, right? When you're running something, when you're, you know, uh, leadership in an organization, there's always something that gets in the way. And so, you know, if I've got to add a meeting to my schedule in the evening and that's when I usually go to work out, well, I'm not going to work out that day. Um, as opposed to maybe thinking, okay, I may not be able to do it in the way that I usually do it but I can do something and doing something really impacts my mental uh, state because I actually want to do it um, and feel, you know, not great when I don't. And so really trying to um, just figure out different ways, you know, little things, right? Because, you know, when you said, Jackie, I'm not thinking, I'm not talking about, you know, going out in the, in the, you know, yard and gardening. I'm talking about ways to extend your life. That is such, um, that's, it's hard, I think, for folks to imagine that any practice that might be smaller, right, it could really make a difference. I think people find that difficult to believe that it actually could make a difference when I know for a fact just going out and sitting in the backyard when it's sunny makes a difference, right? Getting some fresh air, getting outside. And so I'm thinking about young people in this particular case, Jacqueline. How are you modeling this work for folks in, in, in the Chicago Freedom School? How do you, you show it? Because let me just say, and I'll, I'm just going to talk about it because not here. Um, I have noticed that the executive director has been taking a little bit more vacation. I was thrilled to see that, right? Just, you've got to take vacation. That's why it's there. And one of the things that at Morton Group, we, you know, folks, uh, staff get vacation, but we don't roll it over. And that's intentional. We want people to take it in the year that they get it. And, and people are encouraged to do that. Um, and it is one of those cases where if you don't use it, you're going to lose it. Uh, and again, that is because we really want people to take it. Um, I have another staff person that starts a sabbatical in a week. I went on a sabbatical last year uh, for three months. And um, I want to make it available to other staff as well. So I'm going to come back to you again and say, how do you impress upon young people um, who really are not thinking about necessarily being stressed out, although they may be, and they don't, you know, necessarily have the uh, language or understand what's happening. How do you impress upon them the importance of self-care? I think some of it is talking about it. I think also talking about, you know, the the challenges and the um, the struggles, because oftentimes, you know, folks who have have more of a practice or are more well-practiced in self-care um, uh, will say, oh, you just need to do, you know, a little bit of self-care. And then people who don't have as much of a practice feel like, well, I'm not exactly sure how to do that. What does that actually look like? So I think just talking about what that is and being real about 
uh, about the challenges, being real about and giving, having compassion for my own self in the ways that it doesn't look um, great uh, or doesn't um, doesn't look like what I want it to look like all of the time, right? So when my practice falls off or if it shifts and changes, I can have compassion for myself and say, okay, well, maybe I need to do something else. Maybe, maybe I'm not doing this uh, anymore um, because I need to, I need to uh, explore some other way that'll work better. If I was just eating the same, if I was just eating the same kind of beans and rice for, um, for every meal every day, I might want a different bean. And it's okay to say, I need to shift, I need to change. So I think having those discussions, but also having them see me, witness me when I'm struck, when I'm struggling and also when I'm doing well and when I can, you know, openly talk about that. I think also Jackie mentioned, you know, having, having people around you who will reflect that, having somebody come to me and say, Hey, what's going on um, with you? Or, or it looks like you're struggling. How can I help you need? What do you, what, you know, what support? Um, do you need, or sometimes not even asking me and just showing up and doing a thing. Right. right. Um, so it can look, it, it looks a, a bunch of different ways for me, but mostly it's just, mostly it's being in conversation and affirming young folks as they are struggling because they know that they're stressed out and they are openly talking about it and sometimes don't have, um, have uh, the tools and internalize the same way that adults internalize. And they think, Oh, I'm just horrible. I'm just, I'm, I just need to get my stuff together, right? And we end mm-hmm. up with all of this negative self-talk instead of self-compassion. So sometimes I'm just saying, "Hey, my self-care right now is I realize I haven't been laughing as much as I uh, as much as I would like to laugh." Um, so I'm setting the intention. If people want to send me funny things, um, I'm trying to get three good belly laughs a day, um, and and really inviting people to be a part of that process with me or, or to be in conversation and check in with me about it. That is a great idea. And that, of course, is some, you know, that that's really putting yourself in a vulnerable space, which is really required sometimes. Jackie, what were you going to say? Well, I was going to say, I love everything that you're sharing. Um, and I think that what I wanted to to be sure folks know is as a starting place, you can just start to get a little curious about yourself. Like you said, if you have red beans and rice all the time, you're going to want to switch it up. And I think that can really get it. It's I find a lot of times people sort of punish themselves for not doing self-care. They do a negative talk or they feel like, mm-hmm. you know, I don't deserve it. Married to your point, you know, why should it be important? But getting curious about how you could feel better, be more creative. I find that is very fertile ground for getting inspired right? To just spend a little time thinking, well, what haven't I tried? Maybe I should try acupuncture. Maybe I should try, you know, a staycation. Maybe I should try taking a painting class or a screen printing class. Thinking, just just letting yourself still stay curious throughout your lifetime. Because I think as adults, many people get rigid about who they are and our jobs can make us more so, where we're getting better and better in one direction, but we're not getting better and better holistically or comprehensively. So I just wanted to add, I, I think you were really spot on there, Jacqueline, and, and just want to add, stay creative, stay curious about yourselves. And that that brings new things in. I I, I absolutely understand what you're saying. And, and I agree with that. And, and then I wonder what about folks who don't feel they have the resources for self-care? I, because sometimes, and at least I think maybe often, self-care in some ways is related to having a particular type of resources. Mm-hmm. And what do we do when people don't have that? How do they still uh, have an opportunity to to indulge and, and be creative, be curious, do these things that are going to bring us some absolute joy? How do we make sure that that is available to folks who think, well, I don't have money to go get a massage? Or I'm not going to go and, um, you know, take a particular class. That's just not something I would do. It it feels foreign to me. You know, already I don't think I should be doing it, but now it, it feels like I'm I, I might need some resources. Um, and then I think about all the 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 information that we've all been socialized with with regard to white supremacy culture and mm-hmm. to your piece, you know, Jackie, about not being able to take a pause, mm-hmm. right? Just we got to keep it moving. And no, I'm not going to. 
that's I'm spending money or I'm taking away from something else. And I think that has been a real um, um, sort of conflictual point where I can't I can't talk to folks and get them to understand there are many things you can do mm-hmm. that actually, you know, won't necessarily cost a lot of money. Um, and I love your idea of an accountability partner. I think that's really important as well. Have somebody who is going to be in touch with you, who's going to check in on you. And did you, you know, did you get to uh, take the 10 minute walk you were going to do today or whatever the case may be? But there are ways that people can do self-care that are not expensive um, and are actually accessible. And And how do you think people can find out about those ways? How can they they really understand that this is what this is what we all should be doing to take care of ourselves because we're constantly getting the messages that we got to work faster, do more. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we got to we have deadlines to meet and, and revenue to raise, um, particularly <laughs> looking at Jackie now. Um, you know, they're just things that we have to keep in mind when you're running a business. Mm-hmm. And, and and so, again, how do we make sure that people understand there are ways you can do this in small bite sizes while you weren't necessarily talking about you know, Jackie, you said earlier, I'm not talking about someone going out gardening in the back, going out gardening in the backyard could be right. Their self-care activity. Um, if they're doing it consistently, you know, um, and if that's bringing them a certain amount of joy. So there are things that small bite sizes. I just, I, I guess I, I want to talk about that because I'm always concerned that people think this is just too big for me. Mm-hmm. I can barely, you know, get myself to work. Um, and do what I'm supposed to do there. And now you're saying I should really be thinking about myself in another way. It's not how we're socialized. And so I just feel like we have to really give people um, these messages on a regular basis, on a continual basis, that it is okay for you to slow down. It is okay for you to take care of yourself. Um, I guess one thing that I would ask, and I did not ask you this before, if, if you have any resources, and you don't have to tell me about them now, but when we put out the podcast, we actually want to give folks some tools as well. If you have any that you can share um, that people can either read or you know review and, and get some more understanding of you know what this means. And so, Jacqueline, how do we let people know that everybody can do this? Mm-hmm. I think there are some, you know, some simple, easy and things that we that we know taking a nap. And I think, uh, you know, Trisha um, uh, Hersey, uh, nap, the nap bishop has been doing oh, great yes. work. Someone gave know? me a, a certificate. I just can I just say someone gave me a gift certificate to the nap ministry. Yeah. And, I, and at first I thought, I'm not going to do this. I, did, <laughs> I thought I am not. I really appreciate it. I, don't, I do not have time in the middle of the day to do this session on the nap ministry. Mm-hmm. Then I thought, okay, it was very considerate. It's somebody who's worked, known me a long time, has worked at Morton Group for a long time. And I thought, okay, I, I should do it. So I did the session mm-hmm. and I fell asleep. <laughs> and that was the best hour I've had in a long time. And it was brilliant. And we actually are talking uh, to her about uh, uh, coming on Gathering Ground, but I'm sorry. I just wanted to share that it is a wonderful thing if you can take part in it. Yeah. Like, okay. If find one time a month, right. You can find one time a month, 20 minutes, 30 minutes. Right. Mm -hmm. And then figure out if you can build on that. I think sometimes, you know, as a massage therapist, I know that people, people get very invested in, um, in wellness and, and care practices that cost lots of money. But there are simple things. Go to the dollar store and get a dish pan. You can put some hot water in and put your foot, your foot or your feet in it for five okay. minutes. You can give yourself five minutes a day. You can give yourself ten minutes, you know, or what a day, a week, or what have you. There are simple, easy things that you have in your own house. You might not be able to get a massage, but you can massage your own feet. You can massage your own hands. You might not be able, like for me, one of the most luxurious that isn't super luxurious um things that i do is i wash my hair and i make a time of it oh i'm gonna massage my scalp i'm really going to love up on myself in this way doing and making all of these practices care practices when i put lotion on in the morning i'm i'm giving myself 
the kind of like care Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. love and tenderness. What does it mean to be tender with yourself in the way that you would with your your child, your lover, somebody who you are caring for? How can you direct that energy to yourself? Feeding yourself, really allowing yourself to like savor um, whatever it is that you're eating, like really taking some time Mm -hmm. to slow down, chew and taste and eat is is an incredibly beautiful care practice. These are things that we're already going to do. So, you know, so that we can make those things the things that really allow us some some space to just like be. Again, going back to what Jackie said, that pause, you can slow down even if you don't feel like you can completely pause, just slow it down a few beats. What does it mean to drink the water more slowly or to mm-hmm. give yourself a cup of tea and um, or, you know, have your coffee be whatever? Like, what does it mean to really allow yourself that kind of tenderness and gentleness? I think that that is the easiest way you can enter in through there and then you can explore in whatever ways make the most sense for you. It sounds so beautiful, as you described it in terms of taking care of yourself. I mean, it really does. And um, it, it's those small things, as you say, that you can do, that that we all can do, um, that will, will make a difference. And this, this again, this idea of slowing down. I had about 30 minutes before we were starting, and uh, somebody wanted to talk to me about something. I thought, well, I could go ahead and call them now, or I could sit here and relax and kind of get myself together before the podcast. And that's what I did. I didn't call them. I thought I can talk to them tomorrow. Um, and, you know, nothing's going to be lost. It's going to be okay. But let me say what an enormous effort that is. I mean, I am constantly fighting back, you know, against uh, white supremacy culture. Um, Jackie Boyd, what are your your sort of personal strategies? What kinds of things do you do? I'm, I'm asking, what do you do for self-care? Mm-hmm. Well, I, I'd also love to just say thank you, Jacqueline, for that gift and that visioning of treating ourselves mm. in the way we would have. So beautiful. You know, loving ourselves. Mm. It's yeah. it's gorgeous. And I, folks, if you're not there yet, just know that's sort of the advanced level. <laughs> and it is, it is the result <laughs> of wellness practices. It is the result of dedication right. to and taking yourself seriously. You know, so that's what I try to do is, because, mm. Mary, I think for you and I as business owners, there are places where it the pause does not feel like it exists, you know, and I, I will just be very honest about that. There are times where you're on the roller coaster and you have to grind. You have to make up for somebody who's left the team suddenly or who is sick. You have to find business so that the people who have entrusted their well-being to you get paid. There are times that you just have to dig in and grind, but that can't be all the time. It can't be all the time, and it should be a, a smaller percentage of time than I think most of us give. My dad, when I was coming up, he he used to say, it doesn't matter how much money you make, it's how you manage it. You can spend as much money as you make, and you can overspend, even if you're making a million dollars. And that's something that has stayed with me with regards to taking myself seriously is I'm like, I need to budget my time. And if I give it all away, I will always feel empty. I will always feel like I don't have enough. So making sure that I'm thinking about my time in the way that I think about other things and actually being a business owner has really helped that. Cause now I see, <laughs> you know, what, what those hourly charges are for my time and how I'm investing it. Um, and it helps me think about like, well, I need to invest in myself because I'm the engine. You know, my team is doing the work and they are beautiful and wonderful and powerful. And I think that's the other piece I would say in this particular space is supervisors and leaders. You have to message to your teams that not only is self-care OK, it is prioritized, as Mary was saying. You have to say it over and over again to combat that feeling that people have that they shouldn't. So you can't say it often enough. And I think for leaders in this space, it's our responsibility to name and claim that our places of work are a place where people deserve wellness and we want to foster that. Absolutely. You know, certainly before COVID, I think this was the case, but even more so now, um, I was doing a workshop um, sometime last year and I was talking to 
you know, leaders and organizations across the country. And, and we we're talking about if you were, if you are someone who generally manages and leads with your head, you really got to bring your heart into it. And this particular time in history calls for that more than any other time has. Um, and I, I, I just think that's so important because as you all know, people are suffering in ways that we don't even know. We see people and we assume they're okay. And in fact, they're not. Um, and, um, I know a few weeks ago we were making some goodbyes, um, with a group that we're doing some work with in, um, in Bozeman. And, um, I remember I started to say something. It was my last staff meeting. God. And I started and I got, and I teared up and I am loathed, frankly, to cry in front of other folks and there was no way to control it. There was just no, and so I just had to go with it. <laughs> I just had to go with it, and okay, I'm going to be sitting here in this meeting crying right now. And I, I don't think I've ever done that before. Um, um, and it was something I just had to go with, and it, and it's, it's difficult for me to do that. Um, you know, uh, certainly when you're in a leadership role, as I was saying before, everything comes up to you in most cases, and I just want to encourage people to. Uh, be vulnerable. Um, it gives people an opportunity to support you as well, which is again something that I find <laughs> difficult to do. How how are you on that, um, Jackie Boyd? In terms of letting other people support you, because I know, you know, I know a little something about you, and I know that you are always doing and taking care of and making dinner and food and driving hours. So how are you, how are you letting people support you? Let me just turn the, turn the uh, channels over to you. You just described my last week. <laughs> I know. Oh, I, I'm well aware of that. <laughs> so again, how are people supporting you? How do you make sure that that, you know, there's, and it's not, as you know, it's not about you do this for me and I do this for you, but it is important that we are open enough to accept it. Yeah. Right. And I usually, frankly, am not. Yeah. So. No. And, and kudos to you, Mary, because it, it is, it's, it can feel tough to change, but it's so important because you deserve to be your whole amazing self too, right? It's not just for you to support your team. You want to be as authentically yourself as you can in this life. And I do too. So, you know, sometimes we cry. Sometimes we're in a in a rough place. What I honestly my chosen family has been my saving grace. And it it was hard initially for me to let folks show up for me. Um because it is vulnerable and I didn't I wasn't able to articulate what I needed in the beginning. But I have a couple of friends that are therapists and helpers and wonderful people and they were like, "Well, I want to do this for you." Or would it be okay if I checked in? I want to, you know, how how can I help here? And it took, gosh, took probably a couple of years of my friends saying that before I really fully believed it. And then now I feel much more comfortable to take up space in those relationships and to let them care for me. So thank goodness for my chosen family, because they're the ones that knocked on my door and said, hey, this isn't just a one-sided relationship. And it's not just you showing up for us. I want to show up for you and me trusting that they could, you know, that they could be there. Trust. Cause that's honestly, it, that has been for 20 years. My only marker of very close, intimate friendship is I'm not going to need you very often, but if I fall apart, I need to know that you're there for me. That's the only marker. <laughs> like I'm not, I'm truly not going to need you much in terms of deep emotional support. But if I need you, I need to know you have my back and every single one of my chosen family friends do and have shown that in many ways over the years. So I'm blessed. That's wonderful. So being, being open, uh, being able to receive uh, Jackie Hamilton, Jacqueline Hamilton. Um, are there any other messages you would want to share with our um, audience? Because believe it or not, we are, we're, we're coming to the close. I told you it was going to go very fast. Um, so what else, if anything, in, in our closing um, minutes here, would you like to offer? Uh, and again, to folks who have young people, right? I don't think there are a lot of young people listening to this podcast. However, if you have a young person, um, just give us one thing that you would suggest they try with this young person to, to really address some self-care. 
I think, you know, and going back to, you know, that word radical, right? Mm, the radical mm -hmm, piece mm -hmm. is the piece that says that it's time for me to change my mind about a thing, right? Mm, okay. um, so Lots so of kernels really, here, Jackie. Yes, <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Really, yes. <laughs> but, but like really, you know, engaging that piece, right? Like what is the radical, um, what's the radical thing that I need to know or, um, or or acknowledge right here right and and then and then that can sort of lead the lead you in the direction of whatever the shift needs to be right so just what is what do i need to um what do i need to know how do i need to to look at the situation or where do i need to be looking differently or experiencing you know um experiencing this uh, differently or or acknowledging this differently, um, mm -hmm. I think would be would be the big piece, right? Is finding the radical moment, um, and then letting that lead you in whatever direction you need to go in. I am never going to think about radical in the same way. I can tell you that for sure. <laughs> I, I really won't. I I love all of that. Now I want to make sure that we also have a chance just to talk about anything coming up that we should, you know, wouldn't be, we just, we couldn't close without some announcements, <laughs> some promotions of some sort. So anything going on, um, uh, Jackie Boyd, uh, I, I, you're, you are on a board, One Roof Chicago, yes. that's having an event, I know, in a few weeks. You want to talk about that? Sure, I'll share. Well, uh, so One Roof Chicago is a LGBTQ plus intergenerational housing development project. We're striving to build in Bronzeville, within the next three to five years uh, so that youth and older adults can come together to create home and naturally create chosen families if there's connections there, but really be able to have that multi-generational connection that most of us enjoy throughout our lifetime. So we're having a fundraising event on May 16th, six o'clock downtown Feel free to reach out to me for any details, Jacqueline at the-care-plan.com. Uh, and you can probably find my contact info associated with this podcast. Uh, the, but the other piece I, I want to be sure folks know about is comparing notes. We have a once a month peer leadership circle for folks who are LGBTQ plus or BIPOC. And it's a space for you to network with other leaders, gain leadership skills, and build your vision and your dreams in accordance with your values. So we have folks that are artists, are entrepreneurs, are managers at nonprofits. So that's a space that I would definitely want people to know exists. Is, uh, and we offer sliding scale and free spots as well. So comparing notes. So thanks, Mary. Comparing notes. Mm -hmm. And I know some folks on my team has take, have taken advantage of it and enjoyed it very much, and they will be back. So thank you very much. Anything uh, going on um, for Chicago Freedom School? I think actually your applications might be open for the summer. Yes. So so we're gearing up for summer um, and encouraging young people to, to uh, send their applications and, and jump into, into our summer program. Also for folks who are not young people, who are not eligible. Uh, we'll be having our um, uh, our spring um, a, a spring event, uh, a spring intergenerational event. There will be more information uh, posted out on our socials uh, soon. But we're really excited about um, about building more intergenerational partnerships uh, this Wonderful. year and in the coming year. Yeah. And just tell people about this um, the scholar program. That's the summer piece, just so they understand what they might be able to apply for. Sure. So we have a summer leadership intensive, and that mm -hmm. is uh, four weeks of, uh, of intensive study, young folks from the ages of uh, 14 um, to 18 get together to really unpack issues of power, uh, oppression and agency, talking about um, talking about everything from uh, um, the school to prison pipeline to gender based violence to race, ethnicity, um, uh, uh, culture, um, queerness, all, all, of, the all of the, all, mm -hmm. everything that young people are, uh, are experiencing, helping them recognize that there are systems of power um, at work. Uh, and there are ways to, uh, to recognize when you are experiencing uh, an oppression and ways to, to, uh, to dismantle um, and fight 
those as well and ways also to build community um, so that it's not just about what you're against, but it's also about what you're what you're building. And that four week intensive is an aspect of the Freedom Fellowship, which is ultimately a six month program where young folks after the the uh, summer leadership intensive go on to build more organizing skills um, so that they can take them into their into their communities. Wonderful. Wonderful. So there are lots going on at both organizations. Um, we will put all of this on the website and it'll certainly be part of the um, promotion for this podcast. And I just want to thank you so much. This has been wonderful to spend some time with both of you and um, just really appreciate all the work you're doing um, and all the work you're going to do. Cause I know we've, we've all got some work that we're, we're still, um, that we're still, work, you know, we're moving towards. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you, Mary. Thank you. It was so great to be here. Everybody take good care. Well, that's a wrap for this week's episode of Gathering Ground. What an absolutely delicious conversation we had with Jacqueline Hamilton and Jackie Boyd. Please check out the podcast at www.gatheringgroundpodcast.com. Please rate it, review it, and subscribe to it so that you know whenever we drop a new episode. Until next time, I'm Mary Morton.